I want to invite all of the children to come forward for our children's time, and if you're watching from home, to move a little closer to your screen. All right, friends, come find an animal you want to come sit on. Come sit with me. All right. Good morning, friends. It's so good to see you. So, who here has ever gotten a really good present? Have you ever gotten a really good present? What was the really good present you got? Yeah? A friendship bracelet making kit. Who else has gotten a really good present? Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, when I was maybe seven or eight, I got a uh, Barbie dream house for Christmas. I was very excited. It had three stories and an elevator that you could like pull up and down. It was pretty cool. So yeah, we get really good presents sometimes and we love getting presents. Who here has ever gotten, has ever given a really good present? You ever given a really good present? Yeah. Uh-huh. So you gave a really good present to a friend one time. Who else has ever given a really good present? Do you ever, do your, do your moms and dads or parents ever get really excited by the presents you give them? Yeah. What about grandparents? Do grandparents love getting presents from their grandkids? Yeah. Grandparents in the room, do you love getting presents from your grandkids? Yeah. Um, so sometimes it's really fun to get presents, but it's also really fun to give presents to people too, right? And we give, and we give them because we love them and we care about them and we're, we love, are grateful for them. So there are times when we, are, we receive and that's really good, but there's also times that we give away too. In a few minutes when I'm uh, talking up there to everybody, I'm going to talk a little more about what it means to give, to get a really awesome gift, the gift of Jesus, and then what we do and what we give in response. All right, so I hope you'll be listening and be thinking about ways that you can both receive gifts and give gifts this week. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the many gifts in our lives, the people who love us and care for us, and all of the good things that we receive, the blessings we have. We ask that you would show us how to be generous and how to give with all our hearts and with joy and gratitude. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks, friend. If you can stack your little animal dots right there, right down there, make a little pile of them, that would be great. Thank you. So, it's the last week of our three-week series on the sixth chapter of John, which we have been exploring through the lens of blessed, broken, and given, based on the moment in communion where Jesus takes bread. He blesses it breaks it, and gives it to the disciples. So when we started talking about this bread series in our long-term worship planning meeting several months ago, I was like, ooh, I want to preach one of those sermons. I can talk about bread all day long. I love everything about bread. I've yet to find a type of bread that I won't eat. I have favorites, of course. I ate approximately one croissant every day of the semester that I studied abroad in France. If you do the math on that, that number of croissants is in the triple digits. When I was a child, I ate something which I cleverly called air sandwiches, which is basically, well, it is two pieces of bread 
with nothing but air in the middle. I was so clever, right? Air sandwich. Forget the stuff in the middle, just give me the bread. In college, for an entire year, I lived in a dorm that had a subway in it. And the subway was open until about 2 a.m. It smelled like baking bread all the time. It was glorious. Recently, I started learning how to make bread. Now I know what you're thinking. I jumped on the pandemic hobby bandwagon with bread making. And yes, in fact, I did do most of my learning and experimenting over the last 18 months. But in my defense, I asked for and received my bread machine, as well as my first recipe book for Christmas of 2019, uh, and had already made my first few fumbling attempts before March of 2020 when everything shut down. So what I've learned about bread through the process of learning how to make it is not only how delicious it is and how much I want to continue eating it, but bread making is an art form and a science. It's both easier and harder than I expected. Most of the time, you take a few simple ingredients, flour, salt, water, yeast, and you mix them up and you get bread, like magic. But the ratios of the ingredients matter, the temperature of the ingredients matter, the oven temperature matters, how long you cook it for, the weather outside matters, who knew, uh, what flavors you might want to add, how you shape the bread, how you knead the bread, every little detail of the process matters. Believe me, I could go on and on and on. Just ask my parents, who've had to listen to me talk about all of these details um, in the bread making process for the last several months. I think they put up with it so that I will continue making rolls for them. But it also might be because they love me, you know. Have you got the picture yet? I love bread. I love the way it smells and tastes. I love that it fills and nourishes our bodies. I love making it for myself and for other people. I love the creativity and discovery of trying new recipes. I love the way it connects people across time and space. Just about every corner of the world has a version of bread, and it can be a bridge bringing people together through a common language. Bread is good. Bread is life. So why have I waxed poetically about bread for the last couple of minutes? Well, beyond the fact that it's something that's easy for me to talk about, and these days it's a subject I find hard to be concise about, this week we're thinking about the third part of the communion moment. Jesus blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and gives or shares the bread with the disciples. These verses today talk about Jesus as the bread of life, the bread of heaven given for us that we might have life. So for me, bread is a gift from heaven, just like Jesus. But the bread of life has, such a, has a much more profound impact than just filling our stomachs. In Jesus, God gives God's very self to the world. God becomes Emmanuel, God with us. God becomes rabbi, our teacher. God becomes a flesh and blood man from Nazareth who eats with sinners, heals the sick, welcomes the outcast, feeds the hungry, pushes back against the oppressive forces of Rome, and so much more. God becomes the bread of life that will sustain us, body and soul. What an amazing gift. And it is a gift offered to you and to me and to all the world freely out of love and mercy 
and grace. We are invited to come and receive this gift of Jesus, this gift of life. Wow, just wow. It's a humbling thought to be sure. And so we might wonder, what strings come with this free gift, right? There's no such thing as a free lunch. What's it going to cost me? Well, truthfully, this is one of those maddening church answers. It costs nothing and everything. The great news is that there is nothing we can do to earn the gift of Jesus. There's no entry fee, there's no prerequisite classes to take, or forms to fill out, or tasks to complete. The good news is that accepting the gift of Jesus, entering into a relationship with the bread of life, will change your life. Because if it doesn't, it's nothing more than the cheap grace that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talks about in The Cost of Discipleship. He writes of cheap grace as grace that costs nothing, that has no lasting impact, that carries no weight or meaning in your life, your words, or your actions. So if our lives look exactly the same as they did before we accept the gift of Jesus, if we never repent of sin, if we never learn or grow, if we never take action to follow Jesus, even when we make mistakes, then maybe we're not really in a relationship with Jesus. I come back to the part of our, of our communion liturgy where we give thanks after receiving. The particular prayer we use at West End, I find beautiful. You have given yourself to us, Lord. Now we give ourselves for others. Your love has made us a new people. As a people of love, we will serve you with joy. Your glory has filled our hearts. Help us to glorify you in all things. In response to this gift of bread from heaven, we are moved to express gratitude and praise. We are made new by God's love, and we turn to a life of love and service, done out of gratitude for the gift, out of joy of receiving. We are invited to seek ways that we can give to others, not out of obligation, but out of joy. We respond by loving others as God first loved us. So Jesus has been blessed, broken, and given to us, and we are seeking to respond with gratitude. So what does that look like? What might God be calling you to do? Where could you serve? What gifts do you have that you can share with others? Where could you serve in the church? As a greeter, an usher, in the choir, serve on a committee, work with the youth or children. We need Sunday school teachers. Could you do outreach or advocacy? Where could you serve in your community? Are there ways big or small that you could help? Where could you serve in the world? I love the idea expressed by Mr. Rogers that in difficult times, look for the helpers. And we are in difficult times, aren't we? Lots of things feel heavy and uncertain and strange. Where are you seeing helpers? Where can you be a helper? In thinking about bread for the sermon, I made myself hungry. So I wondered what about the current statistics of world hunger are. I reached out to Emily Robbins, our youth pastor. She and the youth participated earlier this year, as they do every year, 
in World Vision's 30-hour famine, an opportunity to spend 30 hours fasting from eating and learning about world and local hunger, as well as serving with, the commun with community organizations that fight against hunger. This year, one of the things that they did was offer information to others. They made signs with various facts on them and placed them in the yard along West End Avenue and Louise and 23rd Avenue, excuse me, for people to see as they drove by. Those statistics are somewhat staggering. One out of every nine people around the world are undernourished. And we don't yet know how the pandemic will affect the, that rate. Worldwide, 785 million people lack access to clean water. Every six seconds, a child under five dies of hunger-related causes. 689 million people live in extreme poverty, surviving on less than $2 a day. 25% of children in Tennessee experience food insecurity meaning they don't know for sure where their next meal or meals are coming from. That's one in four children in Tennessee. 20,000 parents in Middle Tennessee go to bed unsure each night if they can feed their children. The world is hungry, physically hungry. And if those statistics are staggering to you as they are to me, Perhaps you will consider supporting one of the feeding ministries in our area who help uh, support, who help work against hunger. We partner with several excellent ones through this church, including the Little Pantry That Could and the Nashville Food Project. But in addition to physical hunger, we are also emotionally, mentally, and spiritually hungry. This last year and more has been hard. People are exhausted and anxious. People are searching for answers, for certainty, for change, for justice, for belonging, and so much more. We are hurting and grieving and lonely. People are asking hard questions of leaders and of institutions and of themselves in light of the pain we are seeing in the world. Will Willimon writes, our hungers are so deep, we are dying of thirst. We are bundles of seemingly insatiable need, rushing here and there in a vain attempt to assuage our emptiness. Yet here we are, with God in the flesh, saying to us, I'm your bread, feed on me. Jesus wants to be the bread of life given for us, to offer hope in the midst of difficult times, to be the one we lean into for love and comfort, to be with us in our pain, to help us grow, to lead us to a more just world for all people. And the invitation to come and follow Jesus, to have a relationship with the bread of life, means that we are called to be that hope, that presence, that advocate, that love for others in Jesus' name. I noticed something new as I was preparing for this sermon in verse 51. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The bread of life will feed us physically, as we saw in the beginning of the chapter where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with a boy's little lunch. The bread of life will feed us spiritually so that we will hunger and thirst no more, so that we can find rest and hope and abundant life with God. 
The bread of life is also given for the life of the world, that all may have life and truly live. What a gift Jesus offers to us. So Jesus has been blessed and broken and given for us. What might be blessed and broken in you that is now yours to give away? I encourage all of us to take some time today, tomorrow, this week, this month, to really think about that. What bread of life do you have to offer your family, your friends, your neighbors, your church, your community, your world? Where might your passions and the world's hungers align? And what will you do in response to the gift we have been given? Amen.